Well, hello, friends. If you are digitally here with us, you are listening to an Edgefield Church podcast. My name is Jonathan Wesley, and I am joined by Matt McCullough. We are both pastors at Edgefield Church, and we want to welcome you, uh, but to welcome you nevertheless for the final time to the Compelling Community podcast. If you've listened to every one of these episodes, well done. Uh, We are amazed and gladdened that you found (laughs) them helpful. Um, But all good things must come to an end. And today we conclude the book, we finish it off, and we finish with a chapter, chapter 12, all about the future, a chapter entitled Fracture Your Community, which is, uh, I think, a, a super odd uh, title considering all the stuff that we've done about unity so yeah. straight over to you matt what what do they mean by fracturing our community yeah yeah i think they're certainly playing on that unity theme that's been so central to the book and just kind of having a little tongue-in-cheek fun at the end with that final chapter title because they certainly don't mean we ought to split up over some sort of division amongst us i think it means that we ought to be always thinking outward Mm-hmm. That there is a danger in a in a church culture like the one they're talking about, like the one they're encouraging us to, where you really do build your life around the church and invest whatever you've got to give in its health. There is a danger that you become insular, and you only ever think about your own local church when the when 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 what your local church is doing is really not different from what every local church is supposed to do everywhere. And our end game is heaven, yep. seeing as many people as possible end up there. Yep. And and one of the ways from the very beginning of the church's history that, that God's kingdom has spread is local churches starting new local churches who start new local churches and so on to the ends of the earth to the end of time. So yep. that's what they're calling us to, I think. Yeah, so practically we're talking about uh, church planting and we're talking about church revitalization. Now, you are or, or at least were a, a church planter of sort, and I previously was a church revitalizer of sort. And so let me ask you, what, what did you resonate with in this chapter as, as a pastor who was originally planting out of Grace Community Church? Yeah, uh, the easy answer to that is I love that section early on in the chapter where they talked about church planting or, or sponsored revitalization uh, using the analogy of of yogurt, if you want to if you want to create a new batch of yogurt, you got to have a live culture uh, put in with the warm milk in order to create what the the unique thing, the unique punch that is yogurt. And there's a huge advantage in taking an active and live culture in a local church, and then and taking a little piece of that and and planting it somewhere else. Um, there are other ways to start local churches. Uh, I had friends along the way of my own church planting journey who uh who were the the model they would use for it the way we used to talk about was a parachute plant where you've got a guy maybe a a family who moves to a brand new place new uh new city no context there but there aren't many local churches and and they're just dropped in by parachute into that city and sometimes that's the best you can do because the place is so underreached and some guys god equips and gifts to to do that so I'm not against it. But man, there's a huge advantage in being able to start with a core of people who already share the same understanding of what you want to do. Uh, one of the downsides in parachute planting, I think, is that it, it can, it can in, increase the chance that the plant is built around that guy, his personality, his dynamism, his gifts, whatever, his vision. 
rather than around a group of people who really, more than any one of them, any, even any one of their leaders, are, want a certain way of life together, a vision for local church life that they've tasted, that they've been part of in another place. So just taking that live, active culture as it, as it is, really, and starting in a new place. That was our story uh, in Trinity's planting, anyway. There were about 35 of us, uh, 37 to be exact, who were coming from Grace Community Church. And yeah, we had leaders. Yeah, the leaders had been trained in specific ways. Um, but, but really, the key to the success wasn't the leaders. It was the fact that all of us wanted the same things and were working together based on what we already experienced to try to do those same things in a new place. What about you? So you're, in your, your context before Edgefield, very different. Uh, you're in London. You're pastoring a church that had been around for I've forgotten how long. About 160 years. Long time. So a yep. lot more like Edgefield Baptist Church. Yep. Um, and you were going in at a time of weakness in that church's life to try to breathe new life through the Word into it. What resonated with you from the chapter? Yeah, I think like you, it was that yogurt illustration that I found really helpful, uh, particularly that bit where they talked about. Um, to make yogurt, you can't just assemble raw ingredients. Uh, you require that active culture that you've just spoken about. Because the situation we went into London was, it was kind of a church revitalization in a sense, because as I said, the church has been going since I think it was 1861. Uh, but, but actually, it had, it had very few people in it to try and help with. So the first time I preached there, uh, one person came. We didn't have a church planting team. We didn't have 37. It was, it was, it was Sarah and I and, and, and Benjamin, who I think was one at the time. Oh, basically a parachute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were very much like that. And although I asked for help for local, from other local pastors, um, it was a very difficult area, very affluent area, difficult for people to move into. Uh, there were people who were willing to come with us but couldn't afford to, to live in the area. And so in a sense, I was left with a situation with very kind of few active live cultures to try to, to grow, to push the yogurt analysis yeah. illustration. I kind of knew the DNA I wanted. I knew the, the yogurt to make, but I didn't have many um, people there. And I thought, I, I guess I thought I could make it from the raw ingredients. I thought, well, I'll just teach the, the DNA when people come in and I'll open up the Bible and uh, then, you know, away we all go. But the problem was that, that, that people didn't come or people would come and there would just be a few of those people. And then with the transitional nature of, of London and the particular area, uh, they'd, they'd move on. And so yeah. it almost felt impossible to, yeah. to, to make this and, and replicate it. And it was always just very fragile. And it was often just Sarah and I doing these things that we've seen in the book, trying to kind of model them through Bible studies and, and meeting up with people. Um, so, don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. There were many great things that the Lord did uh, there. Um, but I think through that experience, I'm not sure I'd, I'd, I'd necessarily do that again. Yeah. There was a church planting opportunity in the future or a church revitalization opportunity uh, in, in the future. I'd, I'd love to do that. But... But every pastor must ideally, I think, start with a team so that they can replicate. Yeah. And I think in a transient city, um, that needs to be maybe even more than, than 37. Um, anyway, that was a while ago. And so back to you again and back to the current situation and, and Edgefield and, and now. How do our people... Uh, process a chapter on church planting when we've just merged. You know, haven't we kind of done our bit, mm -hmm. as, as it were? What do you say to that? Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the, the question makes sense 
partly because of some of the things that are said in the chapter about how uh, you need to make sure it's the right time for your congregation. If, if, if there, there are certain stressors in a congregation's life that might make it dangerous to do something like this, because anytime you do start a new work or, or invest heavily in a revitalization, your congregation will suffer from that. Yeah. It's a cost you should be willing to pay, but it, it is a cost, and so you need to do it at the right timing. So I think the question is a fair one, and we have a lot on our plate right now as a congregation, and no plans to plant a church this year uh, yeah. while we try to get our legs under us as a merged congregation. Uh, but long term, I think it's just essential that we plan on investing in other local churches as part of our life for as long as God gives our church life because our confidence is in what God is doing through local churches, not specifically what he's doing in our local church. The reason we love our local church is that it's ours, but it's worth putting our lives into it, building our lives around it, because we trust that zoomed out, looking at what God has told us he's doing in the world right now, what he's doing is building his kingdom through local churches all over the world. The local church is where the action is. Ours, it matters to us. It's ours. But but if we're confident enough to, to, to really pour ourselves into this one, we should also be confident enough to try to see other ones built up uh, around our city, first of all, because that's where we are. But also around the world. And it's it has been a wonderful legacy already of our congregation. I mean, one of my one of my favorite things about Edgefield Baptist Church's history is how often early on they helped to start new churches right here in the neighborhood. So again, within the first decades of their life in, in the 1800s, um, helped to start a church, the first one I think, roughly two miles from here. Another one, the next one they did just a couple of years later uh, was less than two miles from here. Mm-hmm. A third one a few years after that, again, less than a mile from here. These are churches just right up the road. Why would you do that rather than have them come into your church and try to build, 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 build? That's because you, you think that the local churches matter more than, than your local church. And, and you just want to make sure people have plenty of local healthy churches around them. And I think that's just a wonderful model for what we want to be doing. And it's something that, that Trinity Church pursued as well uh, through funding local church plants where we had people that we knew we could trust in leadership, through trying to support revitalizations. We've, we've funded, helped to fund bringing in new pastors to churches. Uh, I'm thinking of one in particular uh, that that would struggle to, to bring in a full-time pastor without help. And, and I just think we want to be looking for every opportunity we have to try to do, do similar work here in Nashville um, when the Lord gives those opportunities to us. Amen, amen. Yeah, I think you've been a real model of that. I mean, the whole church has, but, but you in particular, I think, have, have, have taught me that, and that's been really uh, helpful for me. Uh, time is slightly running out on this episode, and indeed on the whole podcast. Uh, so let me just ask you as we draw to a close, if you would like uh, our people to apply one thing from this book, what might it be? Oh, man, there's so much here. Um, it's so hard to pin that down, and I don't even have a chapter or page reference for what I'm going to say. Uh, but I, I'm hoping that the general ethos coming out of this book for someone who's read it carefully all the way through is they see themselves as responsible for the health of our church, that it's never someone else's responsibility. It's never just yours either, but it's never less than yours, mm. that the action of the uh, uh, the real action of the church's ministry is, is in the life of the members and the way they love one another. 
So please, please, please build into your life, into your focus, into your prayers, spiritually intentional relationships with other people. Try to find, uh, try to make it a goal that you never have a time in your life where there's not at least somebody in the church that you are meeting with regularly to talk about the Bible. Amen. Somebody that you feel open with about your own struggles, someone who, who to whom you're listening and, and speaking, uh, and then and then someone to, around whom you're you're gathering other people to listen and to to focus on God's word together. That just it's so simple, almost easy easier to forget because of how simple it is. But that's where the action is, and our church's health depends on it. And I'd add one more thing. This is like maybe less a takeaway than a prayer request. One of the, I think that at the top of my prayer list coming out of this book and what I'd want on yours is that God would do what he does, what only he can do in building a deep and broad community. So the breadth in particular, I, I, I want a more diverse community than what we have. I have never been more aware than I am now of how limited we are in our ability to build that and how many barriers there are around or in between us and, and a greater diversity than what we have on all sorts of, uh, of metrics. Pray. Please just pray that the Lord will build that and get glory from it. What about you? Yeah, again, so many great chapters, so many wonderful uh, insights. I, I love the chapter on evangelism particularly. Um, like you, I love the call to be a church that is diverse, a church that is broad. But I think... Um, What's, what's come back to me again and again is, is one of the, the quotes they've used from, from John 13, uh, John 13, 34 and 35. Uh, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love love for one another. And that's what I dream about for our church. That's what I long that we become fixated upon, not, not necessarily loving the world so that we end up uh, loving each other in the church, but rather that we so love our church that we become attractive to the world around us Amen. and that people become a part of that church in the hope that they will uh, trust uh, the loving Savior. And so after reading this book, I, I hope that people kind of see themselves, as you've said, very much as, as part of that rescue boat, that that, that kind of that lifeboat of love in this loveless world, and that we would love one another at Edgefield so much that we would showcase that, that divine love. I think that's what this book has really been about, and I think that's so important because I think we're, we're, we're prone perhaps now more than at any other time to maybe get this the wrong way around, to think that we need to, to, to love the world, and so we must go out and, and, and love the world. But actually Jesus says that we love the world by kind of staying in and, and loving each other, but loving each other in such a public way that other people might might come in. There's more to say on that. Um, but friends, I think it's time that we hang up our microphones uh, for now. Thank you again so much for, for listening and joining us. Maybe Matt and I will do this again uh, someday. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Matt. Thanks for joining us, guys. Until next time. <laughs>